Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. If you have a Bible with you, or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, which if you don't, it's free, download it, put it on your front screen. It puts the Bible at your fingertips, and, uh, and then you can ask people, what do, what do I do with this? And we'll help you with that. Um, if you have a Bible with you, though, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we've been in this series called Living My Best Life. All right, and it's stuck in your head now, and you're welcome. And uh, so today is actually part four of this series. And it's probably going to take me today and next week to actually finish this particular message. Um, so we've been doing Living My Best Life. You're taking notes uh, because we, we, we do that. We take notes because we want to look at what God was speaking on Sunday. Because as, as I'm speaking and as we're doing worship and whatever we're doing, we're speaking into your Monday through Saturday. We're speaking into your Monday through Saturday. And if you want to throw uh, Sunday evening into that as well, that counts. Uh, but we're speaking into that because we believe that the Word of God, it's, it's not a historic religious book. It's alive. It's active. It actually is relevant for what's going on in your life today. The life, the ministry of Jesus, even the Old Testament creates a pattern of showing the, the, the love and the compassion and the grace of God and the need of a Savior to come to fix our jacked up, screwed up, broken world. And Jesus did that. And now you and I get to live in the times that are post-Jesus doing what he did so that we now live in the grace and the love of God. We live literally at a, we are a confession away from being in intimate relationship with God. People before Jesus didn't have that opportunity, but we live in a day and age where we do have that now. So, but today, uh, this is uh, the, the title of today's message is called, It's a Cross Culture. It's a Cross Culture. Turn to somebody next to you and let them know because they, they didn't hear me say, hey, it's a cross culture. Like seven of you did that. It's a cross culture. All right, let me, let me read this to you in, in chapter 9 of Luke, starting in verse 22. And this is Jesus speaking here. He says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He's, he's telling his disciples, his, his close-knit group of guys that were following him around that he handpicked, He's actually saying to, this, to them for the very first time, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be, he was doing third person as well, but as Jesus, he can get away with that. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priest, and teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. He was confirming to his followers what the Jewish culture had already heard from the prophets of old, talking about the Messiah that would come, that he would go through these very things and prophesy his, his crucifixion, prophesying his, his burial, as well as prophesying his resurrection on the third day. And so for the very first time, this was when Jesus was letting his disciples know that if you were to back up a few verses, uh, that was the first time that he was like, Jesus was like, hey guys, who... You know, there's a lot going on. There's a buzz about the whole me thing. Who do people say that I am? And like, well, you know, some people say that you're like one of the old prophets, Elijah, like you're back. And some people say you're like John the Baptist and that's your cousin and we know that. Um, and he's like, well, well who, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And these are the guys he called that are, he handpicked them. And Peter, of course, Peter, Peter's the one that speaks out first. He's like, ooh, ooh, I know. He doesn't do that. I just feel like that's what he did in the moment. Um, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And, and, that's, and Jesus even in another book says, okay, that wasn't made known to you just by your own thoughts. The heavenly Father lets you know that. And then he goes on to say, in this next verse, he goes, and Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. I thought about that. I'm like, why the heck did you do that? Isn't the whole point to let everybody know who you are? But the reality is in this moment is that even the disciples weren't 100% certain that he was the Messiah until he went through all the things that the Messiah was prophesied to go through, including raising from the dead. Not to get too uh, theologically deep on you here, but the saving work of Jesus being saved in Jesus' name was not, a made, was not made available until sin was paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus. So even though Jesus is doing all these miracles and he's preaching and he's teaching, he's talking about the kingdom of God and all this huge crowd of people follow him everywhere he goes, salvation was still not yet made available until the perfect sacrifice for sin was made. And so that's why he's like, no, 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 don't go to all the world yet. Don't tell everybody I'm the Messiah yet because they're not ready. Which is why you see after he does die and after he does raise from the dead, and I'm excited for us to, in April for us to, as a church to celebrate our very first Easter. I think it's gonna be awesome and we're already starting to kind of talk and prepare for some crazy stuff we wanna do to, again, reach and attract and connect with more people. But after that moment is when, boom, salvation now is made available to all the world, not just to the Jews, but to the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the, no matter whether you're uh, in that culture, slave or free or where you're from, everyone now has access to who Jesus is. And I got deep. Then he turns to the crowd. So he says this to his disciples, so paint a picture, because usually when Jesus was in public, he was constantly surrounded by crowds hundreds if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of people constantly clamoring to get to where Jesus was because either they wanted to see the freak show or they wanted a miracle or they just wanted you know, proof that he was who some people were saying that he might be. And everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. So at first he's talking to, you know, all these people are crowding around, but he's talking to his disciples. He's like, guys, this is what's gonna happen to me. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna suffer many things. I'm gonna be rejected. I'm gonna be beaten. I'm gonna be murdered on the cross. But don't worry, I'm gonna raise from the dead. And then it kind of paints a picture. At that point, he, I just kind of picture Jesus looking up and kind of taking in the crowd that's around him and realizing how much the people that were surrounding him didn't yet have a clue who he was. But in that culture, you gotta understand that in the Bible culture, the Jewish culture in which we read this New Testament Bible it was the trendy thing to be a disciple of a teacher. You gotta understand that because it puts in a whole different context what was going on as far as Jesus getting ready here to talk about being my follower, being my disciple. You were, you were the cream of the crop if you were picked by a religious teacher to be his disciple. And so it was trendy to be like, oh yeah, no. Were you, who were who you disciple? Nobody? Oh, oh, that's okay, all right. I'm Jesus' disciple, I just... You're not, okay, you know, that type of thing, really. It was that type of thing. And, uh, and you just gotta know that in this context. Okay, so now that I've done that, are y'all ready? It says, then Jesus said to the crowd, so I see him kind of turning from his guys and looking to the whole crowd, and he says, if any of you, and I love that he says any because he's making it available to any, not the most educated, not the most wealthy, not the most qualified, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Verse 25, and what do you benefit 
if you gain the whole world, yet, I'm sorry, I got lost there. Let's try that one more time. Back up. And what do you benefit, sorry, if you gain the whole world, but are, but are yourself lost or, or destroyed? You got to know that that was not an encouraging word that probably got applause from him from the crowd. Because here's the deal, that culture, when he said, if you wanna follow me, you have to let go of your way of doing things. You have to let go of how you see doing things and how you wanna control the environment and how you wanna pick and choose the path that you'll take and how you get to kinda lay out and plot out and then God comes alongside you to clear the way that you wanna live. No, he says you have to put your way of doing things aside and take up your cross daily and then you can follow me. You're like, okay, that, all right, that sounds cool and he's kinda painting a picture, but here's the deal. Again, it's so important to read scripture in the context of when it was written and to who it was written to because it helps you understand more the power of what some of these words were. When Jesus says, take up your cross, the Jewish culture in that time, they were living in a time period where they were basically living as slaves in an occupied territory that belonged to the very powerful, uh, very brutal Roman Empire. And the Jewish culture knew very well what it meant to take up your cross. Because what they would do is that if, if they were going to execute Jews or they were going to execute people that they felt like were coming up against the Roman Empire, not only was it bad enough that you would be crucified on a cross, but they would actually make you carry your cross that they were going to execute you on to the place where the execution was going to take place. Just to rub more humiliation into it, just to paint the picture to everyone else looking from the outside in that said, hey, if you want to come up against our empire, just know that this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to carry your cross to the place where we're going to execute you. So the cross in their culture was capital punishment. And so, you know, for you and I, that'd be, that'd be like us talking about like lethal injection or the electric chair, just a normal conversation. Be like, yeah, I just, I'm a follower of Jesus. I just take up my electric chair every single day. It's awesome. Just take your lethal injection and follow Jesus. You're like, what? Exactly. So if you're the crowd and Jesus starts talking like that, you're starting to question, why, why am I here? Why, why am I following this? Is, this, is, this? I don't think this is the guy that I thought it was. This sounds a little crazy. Why would he want me to go to a cross and be crucified? Now, in all reality, Jesus knows that for the vast majority of us, especially in American Christianity, we're not gonna be crucified on the cross. And the reality is, is that some of the early, the early Christians did. You know, I, Karen and I had the privilege to, to be in Italy one time and go to the Colosseum where uh, there's, there's a beautiful cross that was put there um, by Emperor Augustine when there was a switch that took place in that empire. But prior to that, that was a location where literally tens of thousands of Christians were killed in entertainment because they were Christians. People who refused to say that to turn on Jesus and give their allegiance to an emperor because in that culture, the emperor was seen as God. And so if you're worshiping another God, then you're clearly against the emperor. And if you're against the emperor, well, we're not having that. So we saw tens of thousands of, of Christians, of Jesus followers executed in entertainment because of them literally taking up their cross and following Jesus every day. So here's the deal. As we, part of why I wanted to do this series called Living My Best Life had to do with challenging our world's culture to bring God's kingdom culture to life. 
Because it's important for us to understand every day that there is a significant battle taking place between the culture that we live in, the world's culture, and the culture that God lives in, kingdom culture. There's a battle taking place because the values of one side and the principles and the goals and the life that's on one side is a complete opposition to the other. And so we, we, as human beings, we're born into this world. The Bible even teaches us that we are born with a nature that is predis, uh, predisposed to doing wrong, to sinning. Like uh, nothing proves that more than when you have children. Can I get an amen from our parents in here? I never had to teach my kids to say no. I never had to teach my kids to not share. I never had to teach my kids to be ugly to their sibling. I never had to teach my kids to steal. Why? Because it was, it was inside of them. I mean, maybe you have the angel child that's just, their, their, their first words are, yes, mom, I love you. Or, or, oh, here's my toy. No, I think I'd just rather give it to somebody else. You know, maybe you can, those are things that are taught. Those are things that you have to ingrain in your children because if you don't, they'll become the version as an adult of what they were when they were born. And that's the beauty of why there are parents and beautiful guardians in the lives of children. That's why it is so important as a parent to realize, I don't care if my kid wants to go to church. I'm dragging them by their big toe. They are coming to church because I know that they may not like it now, but it's going to pay off in the future. But let me tell you a little secret. I was just, uh, I was able to sneak up during worship to convo kids and because uh, I wanted to go up and say hi because some of them don't have a clue who I am and I want them to know who their pastor is. And so I went upstairs and I snuck in and, and I saw our heroes and I saw our dreamers and I went into our legends room and I just, and uh, one of our, our amazing teachers up there, Jonas was up there. And I'm like, Jonas, can I, can I disrupt things? He's like, yeah, go for it. And so I was like, hey kids, what's up legends? How's everybody? And you know, you know, you just get kids scream. Ah! I was like, all right, everybody come here, come here. And these kids come in and I'm talking to, to one kid and I'm, I'm trying to talk and this is the cool thing that kids do and I love it. You're trying to say something they're like, ooh, ooh. You're like, wait, I didn't ask you a question. I was like, oh, you want to say something? I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, do you know why I love Convo Kids so much? And I was like, please tell me. Because I liked where it was headed. He goes, because you guys have donut holes. And I gave, I gave him a five and I said, you know what? Because you said that, we're going to have donut holes until Jesus comes back. And he, he did this. He was like, and then he fell to the ground. Like he just got slain in the spirit right there because of donut holes. But here's the thing, this is something that we work so hard at and this is why we love our Convo Kids team so much and why if you, I'll say this graciously so that you're not offended by what I'm about to say, but if you're looking at what team should I join and you have half a heart to, to, to invest in something that's gonna make a huge result, I would say you need to join our Convo Kids team because that's where you're gonna make literally the greatest impact, not just on one person, but on a generation that as they grow up, they're gonna have this stuff instilled in them and they're, you're going to have some issues when they're teenagers, why? Because they're teenagers, but it's amazing the stuff that you pour into kids when they're young. There will be things that you get to subvert when you are parenting a teenager because there are foundations and seeds inside of them that is going to produce life versus where if you're just like, well, I don't, you know, my kids, they really don't wanna come. I'm like, well, God made you their parent. So lead them, lead them. All right, Parenting 101, that was not on the docket either. <laughs> Kingdom culture, world culture, they battle with each other. And here's the thing, living your best life has nothing to do with you just being happy about what you wanna do. Can I tell you something this morning, and I really hope that this is liberating for you, that it's not about you. 
It's not about you. Living my best life in a kingdom culture is based on the life you live as a Jesus follower. Now listen to this. Living my best life depends on what I give my life to wholeheartedly. Living my best life depends on what I give my life to wholeheartedly. And so many people never get what Jesus is all about because all they do is drag their toe in the water to get the temperature. And then they decide whether it's comfortable to them or not. And that determines whether they get in or whether they get out or whether they just pull up a chair and watch. I was talking to somebody this morning and it inspired me so greatly to hear somebody say, I don't have it all figured out, but I know coming here is what's helping me get to my next step. And I said, that, that inspired me so much. I'm like, you know what? You, you've got so much more figured out than you actually think because there are people that would tell you, they know the Bible, they know they can, they can quote all 66 books in the Bible, they can quote scripture, they've been in children's church their whole life, they've grown up, they got married in the church, and they still don't think church is important to them because why? They don't get it yet. They don't get that being in an environment like this with other people that are on the same journey of life and discovery and figuring stuff out, that this is the place to be so consistently because it is going to build life inside of you that bridges the gap between where you are and where God desires you to be. And it, it inspired me. It really did. Living my best life depends on what you give your life to wholeheartedly. You'll never get anything out of anything when you do it halfway. And uh, whether that's, you know, we're in January, so people are still using their gym memberships right now. So whether it's trying to work out is not going to work out. <laughs> trying to eat different is just is not going to last. Uh, trying, you know what, um, this year I'm going to try to be nicer to people. That's probably not going to happen if you're just trying to do stuff. And it's just like people that go to a pool and, and, and I've had friends like this. They're like, they're like test the temperature and they're like, oof, woo, that's cold. Man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready to get in. That's cold water. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. I was like, when are you going to be ready to get in cold water? And we all know that if you would just cannonball in the deep end, your body adjusts like that, doesn't it? To the point where, I love this analogy because it's going further than I thought it would. To the point when... When you get out of the water, you are actually more uncomfortable out of the water than you were before you got in the water the first time. And that's just like serving Jesus. It's just like being a Jesus follower. He doesn't want you to, to observe from the outskirts. He wants you to jump in cannonball. Don't do that swan dive pretty stuff. Cannonball, make a splash. You're not getting judged. You're not going to the Olympics. Cannonball. Or a jackknife if you can't get both knees up. I understand. I've been there. Jump in. You know, you know, one leg, jack, isn't that a jackknife? The one leg cannonball, yes. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then you land on your back. It's great. Jump in with everything that you have. Somebody told me this when I was young, and I've never forgotten it. They said, listen, if you serve God easy, it's so hard. But if you serve God hard, it is so easy. You know, Jesus knew that what he was going to do was something that no one else ever for the history of mankind would have to do, 
which was go to the cross and be a perfect sacrifice for the sins of all the world. We actually sang a song that really reflected that this morning that says that the, 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 the innocent was made guilty, talking about how Jesus, who was innocent, sinless, never committed a sin, never did anything wrong. He wasn't even born sinful because he was born of a virgin. He did not have the seed of man passing that sinful seed into the next generation. He was a sinless, perfect being, and he was the innocent that was made guilty while the guilty ones go free. Guess who that is? That's us. We're the guilty ones, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, we get to go free. So he's telling this crowd that's around him, all right, everyone seems like they wanna follow me. Everyone wants to follow Jesus. Yeah, let's all do the, let's all follow Jesus. It's the popular thing to do. He's the new hot teacher on the scene. Everybody wants to be his disciple. It's the trending thing. It wasn't sincere. What Jesus, he wasn't trying to scare the crowd away. He actually wanted the crowd to lean in more, but with a full understanding of what it meant to be in relationship with Jesus. Jesus wasn't looking for religious followers. He was looking for relational friends, people that he could call brother and sister, people that he could impart the kingdom of God into their life so that they could take the kingdom of God and spread it throughout their life from one generation to the next. I love this, uh, this principle here. Uh, in, in Luke 38, uh, six, I'm sorry, in Luke 6, 38, there's this, there's this uh, Jesus giving this analogy of, of, of giving. He's, at first he talks about in verse 36 and 37 about, hey, you shouldn't be judging people because you're gonna get judged. Uh, you should forgive people because then you'll be forgiven. And there's this beautiful uh, principle that he says in verse 38. He says, give and it will come back to you more than you gave pressed down, shaken together until it is overflowing and running into your lap. That's what hap- That's the principle of giving in the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of our world, it says if you give, maybe you're a nice person, but that's not how you get money. How in the world can you get and increase your wealth by giving it away? It doesn't make sense. That's the world's culture. The kingdom of God's culture says, that's right, nothing I do makes sense, but watch what happens when you give. This is what I'm gonna do to you. There's another verse in Proverbs that actually says when you lend to the poor that you are giving to the Lord and that is something that he rewards back to you with interest. I love it. See, the cool thing is God doesn't owe us interest, but that's his heart because God's generous. So when we give to God, he's gonna give back to us more than we could ever imagine. So I'm actually, I got this analogy. I really hope this communicates. I got some cotton balls. I was gonna do marshmallows, but then I thought people would be like, hey, can I have a marshmallow? And uh, some of y'all might be on a diet or something like that. So we're gonna do cotton balls. Babe, do you wanna help me out with this? Just because you're much better looking than me. All right, so all I need you to do is hold this. So imagine these cotton balls represent um, what you have. Let's see, how much can we like just normally fit in here? That are, so it's kind of, that's, that's pretty full, right? There's probably, let's say there's like 12 or 15 cotton balls in there. So what God says is give, so you're gonna like dump those in my hands. If it comes out, there we go. So she's giving that, you know, work with the metaphor here, okay, I'm not God. She's giving it to the Lord for whatever, maybe she's giving it to somebody that's in need. Maybe this is tithing in the church. Maybe this is being a generous person in community. What God says, okay, now that you've given that to me, I've received that gift. Now I'm going to give it back to you. All right, so you can show them so that they can see it's kind of, it's kind of, it's full. So it's full. So this, 
And my, my wife's capacity is far greater than this coffee cup. Let me just throw that out there. But he says, I'm going to give it, and I'm actually going to, I want to give you more. And you're like, well, there's no room for more. I know. So I'm going to press it down, and we're going to keep pressing down. I've never done this before. I don't know how many we can get in here. Let's see. Shaking together, pressed down. Let's see if we can just get this whole. Like, this is ridiculous, but guys, this is what God wants to do in your life. To the point where he says, you know what, stop, just, just like, that's what, there. And now it's overflowing, running over, overflowing into your lap. Now, here's the cool thing. When it's more than you can receive, what happens? It becomes a resource pouring out of you that becomes available to other people. Isn't that amazing? That's it. Thanks, babe. You can keep, you can keep that. If anybody needs any cotton balls later, uh, help yourself. Help yourself. I didn't think that part through. Okay. And so that's the, that's the picture that we see. Give judgment and you will receive judgment just like that analogy. Give forgiveness and you will receive forgiveness just like that. Give love and you will receive love just like that. Give financially and you will receive financially just like that. So many people are afraid of giving their finances, whether it's tithing in the church. You know, we, instead of tithe, we wanna argue, well, what does the Bible really mean? Or I don't think the Bible really says that. This is New Testament, not Old Testament. Tithing's Old Testament, not New Testament. No, in the New Testament, Jesus says give everything. So you can choose 10% or everything. Well, you know, 90% is not bad. That's not bad at all. But we, we argue with these things because there's something in our heart that says, I, I, I touch the water with my toe and it's cold. I don't think I'm ready to get in yet all the way. And so if I give, then I don't know if God's really going to do what he said he's going to do. And no, it's not a 401k. No, it's not the Dow Jones stock index or whatever it may be. It's not if I give you 10, you're going to give me 100. It doesn't work that way. But there is a promise in the word of God that when you trust him and when you give, it works will come back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and to the point where it is overflowing and it is no longer something you can contain. And it begins to impact people around you. Somebody's gonna get free just from that today. You will only live your best life when you give Jesus your whole life. You will only live your, life, your, live your best life when you give Jesus your whole life. And here's the I have three, I'm only gonna get to the first one today, but it's okay, it's a good introduction for next week. You'll just have to come back next week and hear this continuation, all right? Is that a deal? Handshake? All right, good, all right. Verse 23 is kind of the highlight of this, the main, if any, any of you wants to be my follower or be my disciple, you must first give up your own way. So point number one, and then next week you come back, you'll get number two and hopefully number three. First, give up your own way. First, give up your own way. That's number one. And here's the thing. Give up your own way also kind of paints a picture of, of repentance. Because we've talked about that the last couple of weeks too if you've been here. If you haven't, uh, the word repent, even though it sounds like an ugly, religious, hateful word because we see people on TV or we see guys like with billboards on the street corner that say, turn or burn, repent or you're going to hell because the judgment of God is here. And uh, which, by the way, that's not what the New Testament teaches at all. The New Testament teaches actually the, the kindness of God is here. Not the judgment of God, the kindness of God is here. And it's the kindness of God, the love of God that's gonna lead you in God's best for you. So repentance is actually a beautiful word that means, uh, okay, I'm going in this direction currently and my life's not working out. My relationships are in shambles. I'm, I got a friction at home. My finances are struggling. And for and whatever reason, maybe somebody invites you to church or you encounter God in some way, shape or form. And all of a sudden the reality of who Jesus is is put in front of you. 
And you hear this message, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to save you. He already went to the cross and took your sins. You don't have to deal with it anymore. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And you repent say, God, forgive me for who I've been. I receive your salvation. And Jesus says, okay, now I want you to follow me. So this is what repenting does. You do a 180 degree turn. I used to say 360, but I wasn't good at geometry. 180 degree turn and you begin to walk in the opposite direction. And not on your own, you walk in the opposite direction following Jesus. And that's what's happening right here. First, give up your own way. Some of us wanna follow Jesus, but we wanna do it our own way. And I wanna tell you, Jesus is still gonna love you, and it doesn't mean that you're not saved at all. That's, salvation is usually the thing that we throw out all the time. Like, oh, I lost it, where'd it go? I don't know, I can't find it, I don't know where my salvation is. You know, like, that's not how it works. If you believe in your heart who Jesus is and you ask him to forgive you and to come and be your Lord and your Savior, guess what? That's a done deal. But then we still have a life to live, don't we? We still have a life where we have to get up every single day and make a decision every single day that I'm not going to be today who I used to be. I'm going to be today who Jesus says that I am now. How in the world do I do that? I don't know. I just need to follow Jesus. Jesus, where are you? Where? Okay, I'll just follow you. You're like, well, how do I find Jesus? If you, if you, don't, if you don't have a good prayer life, you're still learning how to pray, that's okay. Open up your Bible, begin to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you don't know where else to go, it's a great place to start because you begin to see the words of Jesus. And even though he's not here in the flesh anymore, his spirit comes and lives inside of every single person who calls on his name, you can at least read the words of what Jesus said and, and read how he, how he encountered people who, were, who the religious people called dirty, notorious sinners. But Jesus said, no, nah, those are gonna be my best friends. No, nah, yeah, well, you don't know about them. He's like, oh, no, I... Y'all haven't figured this out yet. I'm God, so I actually do know, but I still love him. And man, you, you just wait and see what I get to do with our life. It's gonna be incredible. Some of us are selling ourselves short about what God can do in our life because we're still holding ourselves in who we used to be. Well, God says, I don't even know what you're talking about, who you used to be. I forgave you from that. I don't even remember what it was. All I see now is somebody who's covered in the blood of Christ, which is a biblical statement, just painting the picture that our sins are covered by the sacrifice that Jesus gave. So you don't actually have blood all over you. That would be weird and gross. But it is a, a symbol of us being covered by the blood of Jesus, meaning that our sin is no longer visible. Our past, our mistakes is no longer visible and no longer held against us anymore. You don't have to be afraid of standing before God one day in judgment. Everybody will be judged. But you know that you can be judged and found innocent, right? Just because you're being judged doesn't mean you're guilty. It just means you're being having stuff brought before the judge. And the judge is our heavenly father. And when your sins are gone and when you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you will stand before God one day. And you know what he's gonna see? He's gonna see a son and a daughter who has faith in his son, Jesus, who's been covered by the blood of Jesus, completely clean, completely redeemed, completely forgiven. And he's saying, all right, um, you're good. Hey, welcome to the party. And you're like, that guy, right? Because I, I like, just stopped talking. He said, come in. Somebody told me one time, hey, once you make the sale, just shut up. No, anyway, you're not selling God. First, give up your own way. So this implies that our way is not the right life-giving way. There's some humility, I guess, that has to be involved with that, right? To be able to say, you know what? I don't have it figured out. I thought I did. You know what? I, I thought I was doing better than somebody else. And maybe you are. But guess what, somebody else is not the standard. Somebody else is not what God has for you. You are the only you that will ever exist. So stop trying to be everybody else because that's already taken, right? 
You are who God created you to be. And there is a way that God created for you to exist that is going to unlock his best in your life. Now check this out. In Proverbs 12, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14, 12, it says there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And then John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. You're like, which way? Just follow Jesus. Well, I don't know what to do. Just follow Jesus. Yeah, but I don't understand the Bible yet. It's okay, just follow Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine, it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's way is better. And when you realize that God's way is not just you receiving a letter in the mail that you open up and says, here is now the checklist of things that you can do and here's the checklist of things that you can't do because that's what it means to be a Jesus follower. That's wrong, that's not it. Because God is not looking to have a, a business relationship with you, a transaction. He's looking to have an intimate friendship with you. I heard somebody say recently that, that their passion is that their relationship with God in this life would be so passionate and so authentic and so real that one day when this body is dead and gone and my soul and my spirit get to be before the heavenly father, that it won't be this new overwhelming thing. It'll just be a continuation of that friendship. I thought that that was so powerful and so profound because we, we over-spiritualize Christianity. You're like, shouldn't it be? Because isn't it a spiritual thing? Yeah, totally it is. But in all reality, it's a down-to-earth, pure, intimate relationship. And some of us have to even be reprogrammed about the word intimate because we think intimate, we, we equate that with sexuality because, again, kingdom culture, world culture. World culture says intimacy is sex. Intimacy is what you get physically. And God says, no, 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 you've missed the whole picture. That's just actually something I, I built in to make marriage amazing because, but over here, intimacy is actually just an unfettered relationship where there's not distance and there's not, there's not stuff between you and God. It's just, just relationship, hand in hand, heart in heart, being the person that God created you to be. First, give up your own way. Second, come back next week and get point number two. That's how that's gonna happen right there. All right, yeah, you like that. You're like, oh, that means we're getting close to the end. It is. So babe, go ahead and hop up on the keyboards. Can I pray for you today? I also pray that God makes you waterproof as you leave. Because we know, you know, we know what water does. We melt when the water touches our skin. Um, listen, just like every week, our, our hunger and our passion is that you realize how much God loves you. And that God has, if you were the only person that ever existed on the face of this planet, God still would have sent his son Jesus to go through what he went through and to die on the cross and to, and to, to be able to take your sin, your sickness, your disease, really the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin, to take it upon himself and to set us free. He still would have done it if you were the only person on the planet. That's how much God loves you. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.